Hi, this is the Cancer Liberation Project podcast. If you've been touched by cancer and have some fear around remaining healthy, you are in the right place. As a 20-year-plus cancer survivor, Haley knows how unsettling it can be to not only hear the words, you have cancer, but also the uncertainty and fear that comes when you have been declared cancer-free. The Cancer Liberation Project was born out of Haley's desire to make cancer less scary for people, to give people hope that they can not only heal from cancer, but live their best, most vibrant life after cancer. Get ready to be inspired with your host, Haley Dubin. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. Today, I'm sitting down with TJ Hills. TJ is the author of the best-selling book, Sex, Drugs, Babies, and Breast Cancer, Health Benefits of Estrogen Gene Testing. She is a powerful motivational speaker advocating that all women should take an estrogen gene test to learn how careful one should be with excess estrogens, especially drugs. She guides women on simple steps to improve estrogen function. A breast cancer patient in remission since 2009, TJ is a board member of the Better Estrogen Foundation, former board member of the Estrogen Gene Test Company and Hormonal Cancer Foundation. She has appeared on national TV, radio, and print outlets across the country and has spoke at major medical and corporate conferences, as well as large and small women's groups, inspiring women and their physicians to take control of their health starting with a simple estrogen gene test. I look forward to sharing my conversation with TJ, but before I do, just a reminder, head over to my website at revivewellness.com to get your free seven top tips to keep cancer away and feel confident in your body again. That's R-E-V-I-V-E wellness.com. Hi, TJ. Welcome to the Cancer Liberation Project. I'm happy to have this time with you today. Hi, Haley. Thank you so much for inviting me to your podcast and your illustrious list of guests. I am very honored to be here. You no doubt heard about me because of the sex, drugs, babies, and breast cancer health benefits of estrogen gene testing book, which I recently published and I'm just so honored to be included in this um, star cast that you have on your podcast. Well, I'm happy to have you. And I would first love for you to tell us about your journey with breast cancer and how you found it and all that kind of stuff. So my journey really starts in 2009. Well, it starts before 2009. So I was a very busy working mother. I had three young children, husband who worked nonstop, and my own business where I did, ironically enough, research and data for um, financial clients. And I, you know, for the 18, 24 months before I was diagnosed, I was bleeding irregularly, which was unusual for me. I was gaining weight. I was super tired. I was sleeping all the time. All of those things unusual for me. And then I found a lump in my breast in 2009 um, myself, which is not uncommon. At the time, I was 43. Yeah, so young. Yes. You mentioned when we spoke earlier that you kind of ignored your symptoms, right? And I think that's so important to to talk about because I think a lot of women 
don't listen to their bodies. Right. I think, you know, in, uh, well, you know, I'd like to just simplify who I am and say I'm like a prototypical New York City type A personality, you know, super mom. And um, my body became at the very end of all the things that I thought were important for me to be doing first. And so I, I did ignore all those symptoms. I did not take them seriously enough until I was later then diagnosed with cancer. And, you know, that's a, that's the end of the line. There's a whole lot of things. So, you know, what I learned about very early in my diagnosis is that estrogen genes health. So knowing your lifelong estrogen health can really help you understand your own body. It would have helped me if I had understood that when I was going through all those symptoms, it would have helped me make all kinds of decisions about drugs and excess estrogens. And it would have helped me learn about the remedies that you need to rid yourself of some of those excess estrogens, you know, simple things like Dimpro, um, fish oil, and antioxidant, you know, I just use vitamin C. When I was getting to know you and I downloaded your seven tips, what I found is that apart from the sugar, which is another complicated matter, although every single one of the things that you're recommending um, have to do with estrogen health function and improving it. Yeah, yeah. I just wanted to back up to some of your symptoms because there is quite a long list, right? Yes. Yeah, there is a long list. I think the most important of them was the irregular bleeding. And when I say irregular bleeding, I'm not talking about like the beginning of your cycle where irregular bleeding is when you're first starting out. And I'm not talking about the end when you are approaching menopause, which I was not at 43. And I'm talking about irregular bleeding in, in, within the norm of your cycle. So I think that's the most important one of my symptoms and, um, you know, very difficult to ignore. And yet I managed. Yeah. And you really had no history in your family, right? I'm like 80% of all breast cancer patients are the first ones to be diagnosed with any one, any cancers in their family. And I, in 2009, was the first person in my long extended family to be diagnosed with any cancer. Unfortunately, that changed a few years later with my parents, but I was the first. And so it was, it was a shock. It was a shock and it was a mystery. I'm sure, I'm sure it was. And, you know, I wanted to find out why you decided to write the book, Sex, Drugs, Babies, and Breast Cancer. And it really is a good title. Thank you. Can you explain a little bit about that? So my diagnosis was um, extreme in that, you know, I was, you know, given uh, in 2009, you know, oncotype testing was just coming out. So it was not part of my treatment plan. And I'm kind of like the crazy ex-girlfriend. I'm always checking. I, I keep up to date on all of the cancer regimes out there to figure out if they would have done something different for me now. And the answer is no, not right now. Maybe we're getting there. Maybe we're getting to a point where, you know, I would have been offered a hysterectomy instead of chemo, but we're still not there yet. Right. I keep up with all of that. And my diagnosis was, you know, you have, if you complete everything, which I did not, um, you have a 30% chance of this cancer coming back within five years. And I thought that was a horrific diagnosis 
I had really young children. I thought it would be like really, really unfair to leave my children motherless. And so as soon as I was able to, I started doing research on different uh, regimens, which would improve my odds of the cancer coming back. And I think that is such an important point because you took control of your health. You didn't just listen to what the doctors had to say and, okay, this is all I can do. And so I think that is such a big reason why I do this podcast, because it's all about resiliency and, and to be resilient, it's about looking outside and, and what else can I do, you know, besides what I'm being told. So I commend you. Well, I don't want to give myself a whole lot of credit. I was really, really lucky. I met a man, a doctor, Dr. Veltman, really early in my diagnosis, who was an expert on nutrigenomics, which is where it's not cancer genes. It's not inherited cancer genes, which is what, you know, a lot of us know about. It's genes that are modifiable, which means you can affect change in them. And so... Um, you know, it's not like I just did what he told me to do blindly. I did a whole lot of research before I decided to stick with what he was telling me to do, which again, uh, when I had my estrogen gene test, I had a mutation or damage to every single gene, like every single one. In fact, some of them weren't even there. That's how damaged they were. They were just missing. Um, and, and, you know, so I did a lot of the research. That's what I'm trained to do. I don't know anything about medicine, but I know a lot about statistics. Um, and so, I, I decided to do that to, because I decided that was the best way for me to improve the risk of my cancer coming back. And one of the things that I really admire about your work is you're talking about like the inherent anxiety of living with cancer forever, because, you know, they pronounce us cancer free and we all know that's not really true. We all know it's just lurking there, you know, ready to pop its ugly head whenever it feels like it. And so, what I found is that taking control by knowing what your lifelong estrogen health is, by following these simple remedies and stopping, most importantly, like stopping some of the estrogens, excess estrogens, say that 10 times, <laughs> it's also acts as like an anxiety reducer because then you know a little bit more of what have, what would have contributed to you getting a cancer. So it's not as mysterious as it was initially. And you know what you can be doing to, to improve your health as best as you possibly can. So everything that you're saying is correlated to improving your estrogen health, starting with the whole cruciferous vegetables um, and DIMPRO. DIMPRO is basically concentrated cruciferous vegetables, but it's more the equivalent of eating a room full of that every day. Great, great. Now, tell me... You know, there's so much publicity about the BRCA gene. Yeah. Right. And 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 that really has nothing to do with metabolizing estrogen, correct? No, nothing whatsoever. In fact, I'm really glad you brought that up because the genes that I'm talking about, I mean, you're talking about the metabolism pathway or the detoxification pathway. It's not just estrogen that we're looking at on this pathway. It's it's all drugs, all excess things are coming out, you know, in through this pathway. And what that means is it's coming out through urine, it's coming out through sweat. And these particular genes that we're looking at can be changed by intervening through nutrition or through stopping the insult, like stopping hormonal therapy or, you know, stopping 
in vitro fertilization or stopping living next to a, you know, chemical plant and your water source is right there, you know, stopping the excess and trying to improve, improve that function. And that's very, very different from cancer genes. So for example, both my parents were diagnosed um, respectively five and seven years after me. And my parents were both initially treated at Memorial Sloan Kettering in New York, and they were you know, basically automatically enrolled in a study they were doing where their entire genome was sequenced. So that's close to, I don't know what it is, a billion, a billion genes. And my parents, they, they wouldn't take me because I had lived too long because I was past the five-year mark, so they wouldn't take me. But, but they did both of my parents. And my parents, for example, did not have one single solitary cancer gene, not one, not even those under investigation, or maybe they're thinking about it, not a single cancer gene. So I know we're early in the exploration of cancer genes, but still, I think, you know, there's a lot to be said for most people with cancer, like that more than 80%, are going to have no cancer, no cancer in the family. That's not where it's coming from. It's coming from external. You're right. So the environment, the food we're eating, the water, the plastic. The drugs. Drugs. The drugs we're taking, right. Fertility, IVF. Yeah. So, you know, you asked me a question, why sex, drugs, babies, and breast cancer? Because mostly in this book, and mostly what I talk about to to patients, to people who don't already have cancer, is is drugs, right? Because we take a lot of drugs to manage our fertility life. So I call it sex because it's sexier than saying fertility life. But from the time, the time that we are able to make babies, we're trying, I mean, this is this is my trajectory. I won't speak for anyone else, but from the time we're able to make babies, we're trying not to. And then, you know, then we're trying to make them. And if we're a little too old, then that may be difficult and we'll require different kinds of drugs. And then when we're done making babies or menopause, we are taking drugs to help with that too. So for your entire fertility life cycle, at least in America, most women are confronted with like daily drug choices. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I was curious with this estrogen metabolism gene testing, what are the SNPs that we're looking at? What are the gene mutations we're looking at? The actual mutations? Yes. So we're looking at, um, I can pull one up, but you know, off the top of my head, we're looking at CYP1B1, CYP1A1. We are looking at COMT, which is the stress gene, which you address a lot in your seven tips. Yes. Um, we're looking at some of the IL6 so IL6 genes, which, which also have to do with controlling inflammation. Um, and then we're looking at, um, I can pull one up if you like, but there's a, there's a long panel. There, there's different genes. The, the, so for example, the CYP1A1, 1B1 are directly related to the cruciferous vegetable intervention. And then the, some of the other genes that we're looking at are directly related to the antioxidants where that's going to help improve their function to allow those excess estrogens to get out of your body. So important. And where do you get this estrogen metabolism? I, metabolism is hard to say. <laughs> Just an estrogen gene test. You know, um, so if you go to my website, betterestrogen.com, in there, there's a list, there's a partial list of companies that offer this panel. Now, you could get some of these genes in other places, 
But, you know, you have to be careful. I, I advise everyone to be careful because, you know, CYP 1A1, 1B1, it's controlling all kinds of things. And it's the particular place on that gene that relates to estrogen. You can't just pop in any old test into some of those programs that they have and say, oh, well, I have this because the place may be entirely different. So I vet the companies that are on my website very rigorously because not only are they giving you the mutation results, they are also telling you what to do about it. Because going back to your question about BRCA, BRCA, BRCA there's a lot of publicity. BRCA is an extremely unusual breast cancer. Um, it, it's extremely unusual. It's very few people have BRCA. And there are clinical steps you can take once you have, you know that mutation. Um, same here, but you can actually change. You can change the function of these genes. Right. So a change in the expression, right? Yeah. You're changing the gene expression. So we talked about how you could be born with a, a gene mutation, but you can also have a gene mutation just from all these environmental factors. So if you're have a, not a healthy lifestyle and all that, your gene can get mutated, correct? Yeah. So, I mean, in most cases you are going, you are probably going to inherit a modifiable gene. So for example, there was no breast cancer history in my family. What there is, is like a huge ton of estrogen metabolism dysfunction. There's endometriosis and fibroid tumors and um, irregular bleeding, and there's no polycystic ovarian syndrome, but there's, you know, um, acne so severe it requires pharmaceutical um, intervention. There's unexplained hysterectomies. There's fertility because, you know, in the old days they didn't have imaging. So you don't really know why, but you can just say that was probably fibroid tumors necessitating. Um, and so, so running throughout my entire family, there's all kinds of mischief um, horrible things being caused by impaired estrogen health. No cancer though, until lately. I would still say based on the, the testing results from Sloan, there still is no cancer in my, in my family. You know, my, my mother was a 40, 50 year daily user of talcum powder. And my father is one of, was one of the, you know, first airline executives. So he used to travel around the world constantly, which they know is a disruption of your circadian rhythms. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know, my parents' horrific cancers were all external as well. Mm. And your dad had pancreatic? Is that what you said? My dad had pancreatic cancer and my mother had a rare endometrial cancer, which was really the same as an ovarian cancer, which is, you know, the typical consequence of the uh, talcum powder cancers. So both of those are estrogen. So it's estrogen, so it's breast, prostate, ovarian, pancreatic, and endometrial are the estrogen cancers. Okay. So do you recommend this test for all people that have breast cancer? I recommend this test for everybody but especially for every single woman out there, because until you have this data, you know, if you have your lifelong estrogen health data, then you can make plans and you can decide what's going to be toxic for you, what's not going to be toxic for you. 
Um, and if you've already had a lot of exposure and you find that you have all these genes, you can take a lot of steps to mitigate like the damage. And that's one of the things that really keeps me motivated on this is that I really strongly believe that if I had found out about this earlier, I may or may not have made dis different decisions, but if I had found out about it earlier and I had started to remedy my estrogen health and improve it, I may not have had breast cancer, I would have wound up with a much lighter breast cancer. And that, I, I really believe that based on all the research I've done. And that's what keeps me writing books and going to speaking engagements and talking to you. Right. I think it is so important because I know, I shouldn't say no one knows, but most people don't know about this, that you can get this test. And certainly genomics and genetic testing is really new. It's really new. And most my experience as the former CEO of the estrogen gene test company is that mo the only physicians who really know a lot about gene testing are oncologists. And then it's too late, right? I mean, it's too late. Well, it's not too late, but you know, they're the ones who really study cancer genes and it affects their treatment and informs their protocols, but really no one else you know, and this is really a test where every OBGYN at a girl's first visit ought to be giving this out. I agree completely. That's, I mean, that's my, that's my, my druthers, right? Right, right. So it's, it's really for anyone to get, not just people that have estrogen positive type cancers. No, no, on the contrary. I mean, we're still a small segment of the population and even though breast cancer is the end of the line, you know, those other things, you know, where this is a contrib contributing factor to the, to, the, to the dysfunction or to the medical condition, you know, it can be helped. Right. And, and prevention's the best cure, right? So you could be preventing cancer if you know you can change the expression of these genes. Right. I mean, if, if you, you know, if you're not that far gone or, you know, you can, I think, I mean, I don't know. I'm pretty pig-headed. I'm pretty stubborn. And, you know, I think that people feel infallible until they're not. So I don't know if I would have made different decisions, but I do know that once I started, for example, their regular bleeding, if I had been put on, on some of these remedies earlier, because I was right before I was diagnosed, because I finally got to a doctor who, who put me on Dimpro literally a few weeks before my diagnosis. I do take DIM, but I don't know what DIM Pro is. Is that? DIM Pro is just a more bio bioavailable concoction of DIM. Okay. Okay. It's DIM with some other things thrown in to make it more bioavailable to your body. So it really is like a room full of broccoli. Okay. And yeah, broccoli sprouts, you know, give you 10 times the sulfur sulforaphanes as regular broccoli. So that's a great thing to add to to salads and sandwiches and that kind of thing. Yeah. I mean, ideally you want to be doing all this naturally, but then once you have cancer, you know, the interventions have to become a little more extreme. A absolutely. No, I, I agree. And is Dimpro something that, is it a certain brand or you could just get Dimpro? You know, there used to be a great brand and you, I could really tell that it was a great brand because um, of hot flashes, because, you know, it would, it would actually like, so sometimes I'd be like, why am I waking up 20 times a night again? 
and it would be because I had changed the brand. That brand is no longer available. So, you know, I'm still experimenting around. But the one thing I do keep to is I buy DIM Pro instead of DIM. Okay. Because of its bioavailability. You know, other physicians are going to prescribe other things. They might prescribe indole-3-carbinol, which is different on the metabolic chain. They might do panathetic acid. Everyone's got their their preferred cruciferous vegetable, basically. But you know, this is the one that I've that I'm taking. And you've been cancer free since 2009. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay, great. I love what you're doing. I think it's so important and a lot of people just don't know about it. So I'm so glad that, that you're on the podcast really before we get into random round, are there any last tips advice that you would give someone that has just been diagnosed with cancer? It doesn't have to be breast cancer, any kind of cancer. I think it's really hard when you're newly diagnosed to keep your wits about you and be able to ask informed questions and be able to to do your own research. I think it's really, really, really hard um, because I think most people, even if it runs in their family, are in a state of shock. So I would say, you know, do your best, um, question your doctors as best you can. If you're not getting good answers, go somewhere else. And for any of the estrogen positive cancers, I would get the gene test and figure out what you need to be doing to remedy your estrogen health as soon as you can. I'm, I'm, I am not an advocate of alternative treatments. Everything, everything that I am suggesting is after. It's after, after when you're in remission. Okay, that's a good, glad you clarified that. So, you know, taking the DIMPRO and, and the vitamin C and all that, you're saying... That that is just in addition to everything else. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like so, for example, I'm in my 12th year of you know. First, I had 10 years of tamoxifen, and then I have you know I'm in my going into my third year on an aerobatase inhibitor. Okay, and how have the side effects been? Is is, is all this help? Well, I assume it's help because I'm still here, right? I mean, you know, you never know, right? What's actually working. Um, So I'm assuming that that's all helped. Um, I also had a hysterectomy so I could stay on the tamoxifen for the additional five years. And, you know, I I do this religiously. Um, You know, we haven't talked about the environmental estrogens, but in addition to these remedies, I, I try as hard as I can you know, like my lawn looks horrible because I don't use pesticides. I have a water filter and I do the best I can with, you know, buying organic foods, et cetera. Yeah. And I think it's important to say no one's going to be perfect at this. No. And just to take baby steps, you know, change your water, do, do a different filter, eat organic when you can, you know, look at the ewg.org. Yes website to see what are the clean 15 and the dirty dozen, right? So you're not just spending all this money on, on organic produce that you don't necessarily have to get organic. So, I mean, and, and, you know, the one thing I didn't say is that it's also really important to keep a lower BMI and I struggle with that mightily. I mean, I really, really, I really, really struggle with it. And I'm not, I'm not, I'm at the very upper range of very, very upper range of normal. And I ought to be at the very lower range. And, you know, I've learned to live with that, you know, 
instead of constantly beating myself up. Right. Cause that doesn't help anything. No. There was something I was, I thought of when you were just saying that. Oh, the environment. Yes. Yeah. So what are some other things people can look at? You touched on plastics that you not to have plastic water bottles, not to drink out of plastic, that kind of thing. Um, I was thinking more, um, not the plastics, but um, the source. Okay. The actual source. So, so for example, even my, like, so I saw a few integrative oncologists along the way, but even my regular oncologists will ask, you asked me way early on, have you got a water filter on your house? So I actually have a water filter on my house because I'm able to, um, you know, not everyone can do that. So, so water, for example, I mean, the, the plastic stuff is way out of the, way out of the ballpark. I'm, I'm, I'm talking about like starting with your, your faucet. Okay. Okay. Or even a, a Brita filter or carbon filters, whatever you can do. The little ones that go on the refrigerator. Yeah. I happen to use a Berkey and that it seems to work really well and it tastes really good. Yeah. I mean, you know, all you can do is take these little steps, right? Cause, because like the drugs are the big thing. The drugs are the big thing. Your own body's fat is another thing. And then all of these other things that we're surrounded by in America are like drip, 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 drip. Right. And birth control. I mean, what, what do you suggest we do about that? Well, birth control for a middle-aged woman was an entirely different birth control pills were uh, more than 10 times the strength of the ones they give out today. Um, and I think women have a whole host of choices that were not available to people my age. Um, so, so first, the the dose that young women are taking is is a is a tiny fraction of what we were taking, and then they have a lot of other options, including like male birth control was just basically launched. Okay, so you're saying the young people now, it's the birth controls a lower dose, so it's it's probably safer, or it's hard to. Yeah. I mean, it's, it, I mean, inherently because the estradiol dose is a tiny fraction of what it was before, I have to assume it's safer. Um, I think the bigger issue is that, is that girls, because, because um, periods are starting earlier and girls may be starting to be put on by their mothers at an earlier age for reasons that don't concern birth control. Um, like the irregular bleeding or like the fact that they're 10 and they have cramps. I mean, it's, it's pretty horrific. I have seen no great studies that show like putting children on hormones is generally not a great idea. I have, but you know, they are a tiny fraction. Okay. I mean, there's plenty of people looking at that, but we just don't have the data because it hasn't, hasn't been going on that long. This is a pretty recent development where girls are having their period earlier. So there's there basically is no data. Right, with all the hormones. And it's just so important for people to hear this and be aware of that because they're injecting all these hormones in, in the cows and to produce milk and all that stuff. Well, yeah, I mean, that, that again is derivative. That's, that is a tiny, like, you know, there's a big difference between putting a birth control pill directly into your mouth and getting the drip, drip, drip of the hormones in the cow into the cheese. You know, I mean, in America, it's really expensive to eat organically. 
So, and, and it's really expensive to, to, you know, the shampoos and the cosmetics and the skincare. So I have like two hacks that I use to try and save money. Um, one is like, I, I try and only buy dairy at Trader Joe's. Mm -hmm. I only buy organic chicken. I only buy organic eggs. And this is for, you know, my entire family. I don't, I don't use pesticides on my lawn. And for my own like shampoos and cosmetics, et cetera, what I do is I only buy things that were made in Europe or I try, I try really hard to only buy things that were made in Europe. I don't succeed because that's difficult, but they don't all have to be really expensive. Like you can go into a CVS and find Vichy and check the bottle and make sure it was made in France and not in New Jersey. And then you know that it's not containing a whole ton of chemicals that are illegal in Europe. That I'm so glad you brought that up. That's a great tip to give people. So, I mean, those are just hacks because it's really expensive. Like it's very hard to avoid in America, like all of these um, chemicals that mimic estrogen. Yeah. I hope we catch up to these European countries. We almost did. And then it failed. So maybe one day, one day, right? Maybe one day, <laughs> maybe one day. Well, are you ready for random round? I am. I think random rounds. Great. Great. I think it's fun. So freedom to you is? Turning my cell phone off or going to someplace where there's no reception. The last show you binged and loved? Space Force. I haven't heard of that one. Space Force is a comedy with uh, Steve Carell. I think that's how you say his name. And John Malkovich. Oh, that has to be great. Yeah. When you're feeling afraid, what do you do? Mm, a lot of different things, but the most recent thing I've been taught is to name the colors of objects around me. So red fire truck and green tree, and you have to try and keep it different colors. White cloud. That's a good one because you're just being so present, right? Right. You're, you're actually like um, moving your neural pathway to the present. If you could have a one-hour discussion with someone past or present, who would it be and why? I think I, I thought about that, and that was a really hard question, and I decided that it would have to be my parents, my late parents, because, you know, because it's my late parents. A lot of unanswered questions. What is your favorite go-to snack? Uh, grapes. High in sugar, but still a grape. <laughs> What's one simple thing that brings you joy? Uh, swimming. What's on your nightstand? Oh, this was a hard question because my nightstand is a mess. It's a mess. I've got medications on there and I have a bunch of half-read books. One of which is like a Western. I don't even know why I bought it. Um, and except that it was a famous John Wayne movie. And, um, you know, something on the teenage brain some like morning meditation stuff, you know, some old economists, some national geographics I haven't gotten to. It's, it's a mess. <laughs> well, you have a lot of interests. That's a good thing. What is one thing you're really grateful for in your life right now? My family, my husband and my children. What's your favorite form of exercise? Uh, the swimming. The swimming. So I skipped your answer. And so my, my other favorite thing would be like sunlight on water. Where can people find out more about you 
and find out what you're doing. So go to my website, betterestrogen.com. You can find the testing companies there. You can find the link to my book, which is on Amazon. Um, you can find old videos. You can find um, white papers that, you know, so I've kept the estrogen gene test uh, company site alive to serve as a warehouse for physicians who want to learn more about this or women. And so my, my website is really a trove of data for, for any, from someone who doesn't know anything about this to someone who's specializing in it. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much. This was really helpful and I know it's going to help a lot of people. So I really appreciate you coming on. Thank you. I, I really am honored. I, I listened to a few of your podcasts and, and I'm, I'm honored to be included with this advocacy, including your own. That's it for today's episode. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you enjoyed this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe. Doing so will really help this podcast get noticed and will help us to inspire more people. And remember, the sky is the limit when you take your power back when it comes to your health.